Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen. I'm the president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofit organizations around the country, primarily in the areas of board governance, strategy, and organizational development. I want to welcome everybody back to the podcast. Um, it's been a little bit of a hiatus during the month of November with some of the holidays and some other things going on, uh, but it's great to be back with you on the podcast. And today we're going to have a slightly different episode. We've done this a couple of times in the past. Um, we don't have a guest today, so it's just going to be me talking. And one of the topics that I was hoping to reflect on in today's podcast was gift acceptance policies for nonprofits. And what, what prompted me to, to create this episode episode and to think of this topic is we obviously have a lot of things going on right now. Um, today is Giving Tuesday as I record the podcast uh, today on Tuesday. Um, we're also right around the Thanksgiving season and approaching the end of the calendar year when we know that charitable giving ramps up. We know that nonprofit organizations are really heavy in in uh, generating resources and working with their donors and stewarding their existing donors. So I thought today would be a good time for us to step back and reflect on gift acceptance policies for nonprofits. Uh, candidly, this is a topic that I that comes up frequently when I work with boards. It comes up frequently when we're doing hosting board retreats. Um, and I'll often ask the question before teeing it up. So before even talking about gift acceptance policies, I'll ask a board, who would you accept money from as an organization? Who would you not accept money from? And that's a very simple way of starting a conversation around gift acceptance. And you'd be surprised, or at least some, some executives that I work with are surprised by how boards can split over that question. I'll have some boards who will give really thoughtful, nuanced answers about uh, the, the pros and the cons of different types of donations or different controversial donors that they may interact with. And other board members will talk um, equally passionately about the benefits of resources of all kinds and how any resources can be put to, the, to good use and put to benefiting and enhancing the mission of the organization. So one of the things we wanted to talk about today is what should be in your gift acceptance policy? What are the benefits of a gift acceptance policy? Why do we do it? And if we're going to do it, what are some of the key elements to make sure that we include in the policy itself? So as we get started, you know, I call gift acceptance policies a policy of the goods right? There are really a lot of pros and a lot of positives to doing this. It's a sign of good governance. So having a gift acceptance policy in place is a best practice for boards. It shows that they take their fiduciary duties and responsibility to the organization seriously in protecting the legal and financial and reputational uh, assets of the organization. It's also good donor relations. So I think whenever you're working with a, a donor or speaking with your donors, um, having a gift acceptance policy in place provides a framework for that relationship. It gives the donor a set of trans, uh, an understanding of the transparency of the organization, um, what types of gifts you will accept, what types of gifts you won't accept, and at least allows the staff to rely on a set of guardrails in stewarding and cultivating uh, new and existing donors. And finally, it's a good practice that's applicable to organizations of all shapes and sizes. So I mentioned that I often speak about this with boards, and one of the things that I hear frequently from boards is 
gift acceptance policies, isn't that really something that is appropriate for universities or appropriate for schools and hospitals, large institutions dealing with major gifts, not really for our small to mid-sized nonprofit. In reality, a gift acceptance policy is appropriate and necessary for organizations of all shapes and sizes. And certainly it needs to be customized for the, the size and scope of your organization. And I think the most thoughtful, effective gift acceptance policies are customized for your organization rather than downloaded as a one-size-fits-all approach. But gift acceptance is really something that is necessary and benefits organizations of all shapes and sizes, not just large universities, museums, and other institutions. We talk about the, the purposes of a gift acceptance policy. Why do, we, why do we do this? I already mentioned that it defines who we take money from and who we don't. It also prevents the acceptance of gifts for nonprofit organizations that are simply going to cost too much time, money, or reputational damage in the long run. Right? It's a way of evaluating gifts. It's a framework, a process that's, that we can set in motion for an organization that helps us avoid those catastrophic mistakes. Those mistakes that either are going to cost us too much time, they're going to cost us too much money to manage the gift itself, or they're going to bring some sort of reputational harm to the organization. Right? We've all seen plenty of examples of that in recent months and recent years. It also can be a tool to preserve donor relationships. So think of the position that you put your development staff in, your chief development officer, your executive director, your board members, when they have a policy to rely on. So when a donor approaches the organization with a gift that either is too complex for the organization to manage or may be too controversial for the organization to take on, having that backdrop of a policy that the staff can rely on, that the board can rely on, is also a way of preserving that donor relationship. It depersonalizes what can otherwise be a somewhat awkward situation. A gift acceptance policy is also a great opportunity to educate board and staff to think through what are those critical issues? Are there any industries, are there any individuals that we should be particularly wary of in light of our mission, in light of our organization? So it's a great board development tool. It's a great staff development tool. And if none of those purposes are enough, um, it also satisfies IRS Form 990, the Nonprofit Annual Tax Return. So for those of you who are familiar with your 990, you know that there's a question on one of the schedules in the 990 that asks, does the organization have a gift acceptance policy in place? So if you're working with a board or if your board is reluctant to entertain a conversation around a gift acceptance policy, these are some of the purposes that I think can be beneficial and can really help the board to understand why we would be undertaking that conversation. It is important to recognize, and you'll certainly experience this as you, as you create and, and facilitate your own gift acceptance policy, um, it is a necessary balancing act. Uh, by nature, but when we're talking about a gift acceptance policy, uh, we have to weigh competing interests, and that's what makes it a bit complicated, and that's what makes it um, a great conversation or a fruitful conversation to engage board members in. You know, there's a couple of different balancing acts that you have to undertake or that you're walking a, a fine line with a gift acceptance policy. On the one hand, all nonprofit organizations are trying to attract new donors, trying to cultivate donors. Uh, but on the other hand, you have to protect the organization. 
right? So the, cultivating and, and growing the donor base can't come at the expense of exposing the organization to unnecessary risk. Another balancing act, donor restrictions versus the needs of the organization. We all know that sometimes donors want to place restrictions on their gifts to the organization, and that's a necessary part of fundraising. You have to balance that against the needs of the organization. And is this restriction one that we can deal with, or is it one that hamstrings the organization to an unacceptable level? Privacy versus transparency is another balancing act. And then finally, uh, and perhaps the most difficult when it comes to gift acceptance policies is none of us know what the future holds. Meaning we may accept a perfectly legitimate gift from a donor today on, on December 1st, um, but six months from now, a year from now, something may happen with that donor, something may happen with that corporation, that foundation, that somehow makes them toxic, that somehow makes them more controversial than they were on the day of the original gift. So it's a difficult balancing act. And in the policy itself, we want to try to account for a bit of the unknown. Meaning we may accept a gift today, but in the policy, we want to protect ourselves for what happens in the future in the event that either the gift or the donor, the giver, somehow becomes controversial, somehow becomes problematic for the organization itself. When you're thinking about a gift acceptance policy, I encourage you to think about risk broadly. Right? Sometimes we think, uh, and importantly so, we think about the reputational risk. Right? We immediately go to the thought of winding up on the front page of the newspaper, which none of us want as nonprofit leaders for a, for a controversial gift or a gift uh, that somehow brings reputational harm to the organization. I encourage you to think about risk a little bit more broadly, though, in crafting your policy. Think about legal risk. Does anything pertaining to this gift expose the organization to any legal risk? And if so, how are we going to manage or mitigate that? Financial risk. If we accept this gift, whether it's a, a stock or a security, a closely held security or some other financial instrument, does it expose us to any financial or accounting risk? Reputational harm we've talked about. Uh, and then finally, and, and this is one that's not often talked about, particularly at the board level, is the, the risk of influence. Does the giver of the gift expect something in return for the gift or by the nature of the gift, does it present any potential harm or potential risk for that person or that institution, that company exerting undue influence on the operations of the organization? So those are the things that you want to be looking for. Those are the things you want to be speaking with your development staff about when it comes to gift acceptance and risk. Are there any legal risks? Are there any financial risks? Is there a reputation? risk to the organization? And finally, do we have any concerns about the exertion of undue influence on the operations of the organization? There are four, there tend to be four common situations in which gift acceptance um, considerations are triggered or in, in which gift acceptance policies are triggered. And that's why we want to have the policy in place. The four common situations that, that I've encountered in my career, uh, and certainly as a consultant working with organizations, is number one, a misalignment of values. Thinking about the, the donor, whether it's an individual, whether it's a corporation, whether it's a foundation, is there a misalignment of values between that individual and business and our nonprofit organization? 
So a classic example would be if we are a, if I am the executive director of an organization that is dedicated to environmental justice, right? Would our organization accept a donation from a company that is a notorious polluter? Another example, if I was operating an organization that worked um, to benefit cancer research and, and working for a cure to cancer, would I accept a donation from a large tobacco company? Again, we're thinking of situations in which there may be a misalignment of values. That's one thing that you, one common situation that you want to account for in your gift acceptance policy. A second common situation is unmanageable restrictions, meaning has the donor placed such onerous restrictions, such difficult restrictions on the gift itself that it somehow dampens the value of the gift to the organization, it somehow hamstrings us, or we simply don't have the capacity to manage the gift in accordance with the restrictions of the donor. Third common situation is a gift that we just don't need. Think about someone who wants to donate either land to the organization where you may not need it. Perhaps they want to donate livestock to your organization. Um, a gift of, of computers that are hopelessly out of date and don't benefit your staff at all. Those are common situations where um, donors may be trying to make a donation and it's a gift that we just don't need. And so you want to account for that in the gift acceptance policy as well. And then finally, the final common situation to account for in your gift acceptance policy is a gift that presents a conflict of interest. So an example would be, let's say I, Greg Nielsen, want to make a gift to your nonprofit, but I, as part of the gift, as part of the conditions on that gift, I want you to use my company to purchase the item that I'm giving you the donation for, right? That's an obvious conflict of interest with the donor. There may also be conflicts of interest with a board member. I, Greg Nielsen, may want to donate uh, a sum of money to the organization, but I want you to purchase that uh, that tangible item that I'm giving you the gift for from one of your board members or to use one of your board members as the conduit for that gift. Again, obvious conflict of interest situation. So you want to account for that in the gift acceptance policy. So just rec rec recalling these four common situations, misalignment of values, unmanageable restrictions, gifts that your organization just doesn't need, and then gifts that present a conflict of interest. When we think about unmanageable restrictions, so some of the restrictions that we have uh, that, that may be problematic are um, where there may be an investment restriction. So I'm going to give you a gift, uh, but I'm going to, as the, as the donor, I'm going to place some sort of restriction on your ability to invest that. Again, that may be problematic for an organization. A gift that I require you to hold for a particular period of time. A gift where I'm requesting or requiring naming rights for a, a room or a part of your building or a program within the organization. And then a gift where I, as the donor, may want to offer advice on the disposition of that gift. So again, thinking about restrictions, thinking about what can we manage, what can we deal with, and what would be particularly problematic for us. In working with organizations through this, I, I like to share four questions with them. So that, you know, thinking through when you when you ha are presented with a gift that has some restrictions associated with it, run it through these four questions to see if it um, to see if it still meets the needs of the organization. So first is does it jeopardize the individual's charitable deduction? 
meaning do any of the conditions or restrictions on this gift in some in some way jeopardize the ability to generate a charitable deduction meaning are, is something of value being provided to the donor in a way that jeopardizes the deduction itself second key question is does it in some way jeopardize the status of our charity meaning is it so unrelated to our charitable purpose that it somehow jeopardizes our 501c3 status. Third common question is, do we know how we're going to account for this gift? Is it a pledge? Is it a restricted gift? Is it a partially restricted gift? Is it a fully restricted gift? For how long will it be restricted? So again, those kind of accounting questions. And then finally, and the question that I've touched on a few times already is, do we have the capacity to manage with and around this restriction? Meaning, do we have the internal and external capacity to deal with this restriction and respect the donor's wishes, but also not overly hamstring or harm the organization in the process? In, as you move to a gift acceptance policy, so one of the, the common, as we shift the conversation now, we've talked about kind of the benefits of a gift acceptance policy, why it helps, what are some of the key areas in which it comes up. I encourage you as you draft a gift acceptance policy to think of it in two different uh, arenas, to think of uh, uh, it as both a policy and then separately as a procedure. So sometimes organizations will get themselves mired in a, in a more operational discussion when they try to account for all details and all aspects of process in the policy itself. So I encourage you to think of a gift acceptance policy as a strategic document, meaning it's going to be developed in conjunction with the board, in conjunction with the senior staff, in conjunction with the chief development officer, and it's a guiding framework for the organization. It doesn't spell out the specific processes uh, down in the weeds of how we deal with every single type of gift we may receive. That may be more appropriate for a procedure document that's developed internally with the staff. Also, a good gift acceptance policy, an effective gift acceptance policy, has two parts to it. It talks about both acceptance of gifts as well as disposition of gifts, meaning not only in what circumstances are we going to accept or decline a gift, but also for those gifts that we accept, how, when, and under what circumstances and process are we going to dispose of those gifts? Meaning, for example, if we receive a gift of stock, do we automatically, as a matter of process and procedure and policy, dispose of that stock by liquidating it, turning it into cash? Do we invest it? Do we, what do we do in terms of disposition of gifts that we receive? A couple of common policy questions to answer uh, as you develop the question is which gifts can staff members themselves accept? Meaning they are in the ordinary course of business, we want to empower our staff to accept these gifts. Next question is, which gifts are going to require further review and by whom? When do we need an expert? When do we need a legal review? What types of gifts meet or don't meet our mission? And who is going to determine the reasonableness of restrictions? So again, just offering some guiding questions for you as you think about your gift acceptance policy. Again, it's a particularly timely um, 
opportunity and event for organizations to have this conversation. And I encourage you to raise it with your board. It makes for an excellent board agenda item. Also an item to put on the agenda for your board retreat is to think about if we don't have a gift acceptance policy, what are the fr what's the framework that we wanna operate within? How can we go about creating that policy? When you think about the, some of the critical elements of an effective gift acceptance policy, I'm not going to spend time going through each of these, but I, I do want to give you kind of a broad table of contents that I like to see when, when helping an organization create their gift acceptance policy. Uh, and I'm just going to list these off as we talk. Um, first, and, and because I believe strongly it belongs in every policy document in an organization, is your mission and purpose. Um, keeping that front and center. That's why we're creating the policy, is to advance your organization's mission and to do so with integrity. Second key element is the purpose of the policy itself. We've articulated some of the benefits, some of the reasons why your organization may be pursuing gift acceptance policy. When will you use legal counsel? conflict of interest situations, restrictions on gifts. Will you use a gift acceptance committee? So for some organizations, they choose to designate a subset of the board and the staff to empower a small committee uh, to, to conduct that initial review of any potentially problematic or complex or complicated um, gifts. What types of gifts will we accept? Meaning the types of instruments. Do we accept stock? Do we accept closely held securities? Do we accept land? Do we accept tangible items like computers? Things of, things of that nature go in the policy elements. Appraisals, if your organization has a policy of, um, of, of obtaining appraisals uh, before accepting certain types of gifts. Who pays legal and professional fees to complete the gift? Meaning if your organization, if your nonprofit incurs any legal fees or professional fees in determining whether you're going to accept a gift, who's going to pay for those? Is it the donor or is it the organization itself? That's something that should be spelled out in the policy. How you go about valuing the gift, who is responsible for gift acknowledgements, and what is the process by which you're going to amend that process? So again, when you think about the elements themselves, they're extremely important, but just as important is organizational buy-in. And that's why I feel so strongly that when we think about gift acceptance policies, it's not something to simply drop on the doorstep of the chief development officer. It's not something to simply for the executive director to draft by himself or herself in their office and present to the organization. Rather, we know that we, we own what we help create. And a gift acceptance policy in particular lends itself to that co-creation process, that, that inclusive process where we gather the input and the feedback of the professionals on the ground, meaning our fundraisers on staff. We gather the input and direction from the board itself and certainly from the chief executive officer and cultivate an organizational understanding of gift acceptance that then gets translated into a policy so that everyone feels as though their voice has been heard in the creation of the policy itself. So again, just as, a, as, as we wrap up uh, the, the the, the podcast episode today. And again, I appreciate you joining us. Um, just a couple of summary items. And, and I, I appreciate you indulging me on this episode talking about gift acceptance. And I hope the conversation has proved helpful to you. Uh, I encourage you in summary to think of gift acceptance as a tool of good governance and good donor relations. 
be aware of the different types of risks that are presented by gifts, by um, gifts that your organization may obtain. When you think about restrictions, self-awareness, organizational self-awareness is key to understand what types of restrictions are acceptable, what types of restrictions are not acceptable for us. Adopt a thoughtful, customized policy and procedure on gift acceptance. Again, downloading policies and procedures uh, is certainly one approach to cover the organization, but it may not be the most effective approach for your nonprofit. Rather, I encourage you to maybe look at templates, but then customize that policy for the needs and the individual uniqueness of your organization. And then finally, always KYD. Know your donor and KYA, know your asset. So understand the donor that you're receiving a gift from, understand the asset that you may be receiving from that donor. So that brings us to a conclusion of today's podcast episode on effective gift acceptance policies for nonprofits. I hope you found this podcast episode helpful. If you'd like more information or you'd like to reach out to me directly, you can always find me on my website at www.nielsenconsults.com. You can find me by email, gregory at nielsenconsults.com. Also active on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I encourage you to join the conversation there. And one final note, if you're enjoying the podcast, and I've been thrilled with the growth of the podcast and the number of new subscribers that we have to the podcast, I encourage you, please leave us a rating. Um, leave us a review on on. Uh, Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. That helps us out a lot and also lets me know uh, that you value the content and value the format that we use for the podcast. We have several new episodes coming up over the next several weeks, so I encourage you to follow along. Subscribe if you haven't already done so. Um, I want to wish everybody a, a, a belated happy Thanksgiving and a happy holiday season. We'll be back on the podcast soon. Stay safe. Stay well out there.